Hey Megs, this is Marion and you're listening to Megs Moments, a podcast about all things related to entrepreneurship, millennials, business, and pop culture. This is episode number 29. Hey everyone, I hope you guys all had a great week and that you are enjoying your weekend now. Thank goodness it is currently a long weekend in Canada, so we get to take a little bit more time to kind of relax. I feel like I say this every week on the podcast about just taking off some time to relax, but I think it's extremely important, especially because now if you do work from home, the days of the week and the weekend seem like they are kind of just merging and blurring. (laughs) The workday seems longer, the weekend seems shorter. So if you are able to carve out some actual time to take care of yourself, kind of focus and relax, then please do. I hope you all enjoyed our last episode of Meg's Moments, episode number 28 with Lindsay. It was great having her on the podcast to talk about her business, Bold New Gals, and the two books that she's actually written, and just the value of seeing the value in yourself. On this week's episode of Meg's Moments, we are joined by tax specialist Randy, who actually currently works for the Canada Revenue Agency. Um, really enjoyed uh, this podcast episode because Randy shares a whole lot of tips and tricks in terms of filing taxes uh, by yourself, certain things that the government may be looking for, things that entrepreneurs can claim when it comes to filing their taxes, and uh, some some expenses that maybe you should um, be tracking as a as an entrepreneur. So he shares a lot of good advice um, on tax season which is right it's literally here if you are uh, like a regular employee then you have till june 1st to file your taxes if you also run a business or you are just self-employed you have till june 15th so those are important things to consider again really enjoyed having randy on the podcast this week uh he is actually a dad of five so you might hear his kids in the background um as everybody's at home right now being homeschooled due to the current covid panic or a pandemic uh so yeah just bear with us if you do hear any background noises please know it's the kids um but again he shares a whole lot of details and a whole lot of awesome tips so be sure to give it a listen and i would like to welcome randy to the podcast welcome thanks for having me thanks for having me thanks for having me thank you so much for joining me with all of that positive energy oh my pleasure um i'm glad you actually i'm honored actually to have that you have me on this show well of course we'd have to invite you you know you just have so many amazing things to share before i waste any more time randy why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself what you do for work um and who you work for if you don't mind sharing sure um as you all know, my name is Randy, as she just introduced me. Um, I'm an income tax auditor for the Canada Revenue Agency. I've been here for about 11 years uh, in various different departments, but now most recently as an income tax auditor. Um, and for those who don't know what an income tax auditor is, I audit small, medium businesses, as well as um, some of your viewers, well, not personally, <laughs> but some of your viewers as in self-employed individuals. Right, right. So you're 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 here helping the CRA uh, do their thing, but you're low-key helping the country as well because taxes are a really big part of how we do a lot of things in a country like Canada. So you're technically a hero. <laughs> Uh, maybe you're the only one that's saying that right now. <laughs> I know, right? Tax season is 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 right upon us. So um, before we talk a little bit about taxes today, because I, I did invite you on the podcast to give us a little bit um, of insight on how taxes work, 
uh, certain things that we can use in terms of um, when we do submit our taxes this season. So before we get into that, I want us to learn a little bit more about you. So can you just give us a little bit more insight on who Randy was growing up? Have you always been into numbers? Did you know you were going to be an accountant in like elementary school? Tell us a little bit more about you. Um, well, if you ask my mom, she'll tell you that I've wanted to be an accountant since I was four years old. Um, I'm not sure if that's true. I mean, at four years old, I can't remember everything at four years old. What I remember the most was being in elementary school and wanting to be an obstetrician gynecologist. I remember our teachers used to ask us, hey, so what do you want to be when you grow up? And everybody would be like, oh, I want to be this, I want to be this. And I'd be like, I want to be in OBGYN. Everybody would look at huh? me like, what? <laughs> and it, most of it came from um, watching the Cosby's, growing up watching the Cosby mm -hmm. show and seeing Dr. Huxtable as this OBGYN who was delivering babies and, you know, talking to pregnant moms. And I, I don't know, for some reason, it, that's something that sparked my interest. Mm -hmm. Uh, it wasn't until maybe later in high school, well, no, it wasn't later in elementary school that I realized I'm really good with numbers and I really enjoyed math and numbers um, and just learning in a whole. Uh, when I got into high school, that's when it kind of was, I got into numbers and I wanted to get into business, but what part of business did I want to get into? And it was like, Marketing was there. I kind of liked it, but I didn't see myself as a salesperson. Mm -hmm. um, not that all marketing people are salespeople, but that's how I saw marketing when I grew up. And so my love for numbers just drew me into accounting and accounting. Also, it was, it was really weird that it, the class that I took in accounting, it became really easy for me. It was like, I just had the knack for it. And so I just decided, let me continue pursuing accounting. I really enjoy it. I like the way I can work with numbers. I like setting budgets. And when I got into college, it was kind of like, I like telling people, no. <laughs> um, we, we, there was a game that we had in, we had a class in college, our last year of college, strategic management. And that class, you actually have to uh, gather the people together so it's like you get one person as the marketing person you get one person as the um, operations manager the purchaser the accountant the president whatnot and you basically are creating and selling i think it was dryers but it's like a simulation so you put in the numbers and like each each individual group has to put in their numbers and what their sales value is and all this and then the teacher runs the numbers and he tells you, okay, this is where you are, your profit mm -hmm. margins, here's what it is. And I guess being the account, well, a bunch of us in that group were all accountants, but uh, they allowed me to be the president. And so I used, I followed mostly with the accountant. So if they said no to the marketer, like, no, we don't have the budget mm -hmm. for this. This is what I want to do. And being an accountant, that's what people always say. They like, you're the guy that says no to everything. You're tight on the budget, like it's your mm -hmm. own money. Uh, it's, but as we see, it's just a different perspective than being the marketer or being the purchaser or anything yeah. like that. But as I said, it was something that I always enjoyed and that's why I got into it. That's awesome. So it was time, obviously you mentioned that you really enjoyed it um, all the way through high school. 
Um, how did your, I guess, love for the numbers kind of affect you in high school though, when it came to, uh, your own sense of saving or how you spent, because a lot of people I think in high school are not really thinking about numbers. It's kind of, let me get a job, let me make money, going to spend it right away. What is like, what is savings as a high school kid? So how did, again, your love for, for numbers and even the courses you were taking affect the way in which you approached money from high school all the way up until like university? Well, the funny thing with that is, like, even growing up in high school, I wasn't really that great with money. But I was I was always blessed to have, like, one or two good teachers. And I remember my OAC. Again, I'm now right now I'm dating myself. <laughs> o- OAC, for those who don't know, grade, grade 13, 13, which is, no longer exists. I don't think it's been around for, like, 11 took, years, but yeah. <laughs> well, I remember when I took grade uh, OAC, grade 13 was a thing of the past and OAC was something uh. different but anyway let me go back to the story so I had this OAC uh, economics teacher and he I don't remember if he really taught us economics per se um, he instead decided to use his economics class to teach us financial management so he was this guy that he would come in he would be like oh how many of you have an RSP and people would be like RSP, like what is that? He starts teaching us about RSPs and he would say, or mutual funds. And he, I remember one day he came in, he said, you know, my son is two years old. I started a mutual fund. I'm putting in X amount of dollars per month. By the time he reaches your age, my son's going to be worth half a million dollars. And so it was from there, it was like, he would just teach us the concepts about financial management and money management and budgeting. And we're all here thinking, well, we're just, you know, these young cats, 18 years old, what do we need to know about money management? Most of us don't even have a job yet, but that's one thing that he was doing. And he was just like, you guys should just at 18 is the time to start. He's like, even if you have $25 a month, put an RSP, start saving money, get yourself ready for the future. Because wouldn't you want to have this, by the time you're retiring rather than have nothing. So he basically taught us like, this is how to deal with money. This is what to do with money. And it was like those concepts that just stuck with me that was just like, yes, this is what we need to do. And so I started my RSP at $25 a month as far as it was. I was working at McDonald's, I think back then. So $25 a month, I was automatically putting money in. And I mean, I did have to withdraw it a little bit mm-hmm. early, but I mean, because I knew the concepts, I knew that once I get more money, I could be able to do it. Like I withdrew it early because my second year of college, I had to pay for myself. So I had to withdraw it to pay for my own, my own right. college tuition, which I mean, for me was, I look at back at it now and it's like, it's a blessing because I didn't have to take OSAP to, and then have to be owing money back to the government which who I work for now. <laughs> but I mean, it was because of that class that allowed me to like, if I didn't have that class, I don't know if I'd be the same place I was with money management. Yeah. So I think, and I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that story because I think oftentimes whenever we have people on the podcast, they always talk about um, that moment where a teacher or a leader in their life kind of changed their perspective on certain things. 
And, you know, it's funny, you don't really, like, think about it until maybe you get older, how somebody, one little action or a story or a conversation can impact the decisions you decide to make or the choices you make when it comes to money or going into business or career choices. So that's that's awesome to hear. If you're a teacher out there listening to this, make sure that you're impacting kids' lives in a positive way. It might be a game changer. Well, off, even off on that, on a little side note, I think schools should be teaching these kind of things mm-hmm. again. They should be teaching financial management. They should be teaching money management. Just like how they used to have, well, home economics or family studies. That should have even been part of the family studies course. Is right. Part of family studies is to learn about budgeting for a family and, and do that as well. Just incorporate it into those classes and make those classes mandatory classes, not mm-hmm. optional classes. That's a very good point. Because, and that's, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. If I have to take a course about learning how to care for a baby, who's going to pay for my baby's needs? Exactly. Those are definitely not things that they covered or talked about. But I think... Um, the Ontario government is trying to move towards making kids in high school, I think in grade 10, have to take some like financial literacy course because they are recognizing that people are growing up and are not really understanding what type of financial decisions to make. So hopefully that's something that sticks. We hope yeah. so. Okay, cool. Well, so it, again, it sounds like you were really aware of the importance of financial literacy, saving, um, accounting from a very young age. And as you mentioned, uh, you now work for CRA. Is that something that you saw yourself doing like when you graduated from school? I mean, I don't know what the the perception of CRA was back when you were finishing school, but I know a lot of people my age, even like people my parents' age are scared of Canada Revenue Agency. And even like the notion of the IRS in America just sounds like something very scary and like Lori and they're always looking to get you and to take your money. So why CRA? <laughs> Well, CRA wasn't really my first choice. Uh, growing up, I actually wanted to own my own business, be it do accounting, bookkeeping. Um, but for some reason, I really enjoyed taxes. So even just doing a business where I would be doing people's taxes was something that that stuck with me. And there was an opportunity to join CRA. And so I took it as a learning experience to say, hey, let me learn everything there is to know about taxes so that I can run my business and be able to help others with their taxes or kind of know the ins and outs um, about taxes so that if there's any, let's say, loopholes or any things that we can help that maybe like that gray area where you can help people get around where they can say, hey, this is something I can help you benefit your taxes on. I want to learn that. And so that's how the career started. I saw a job opportunity came up. I applied for it. The funny thing was I applied for the job. I think did all these tests for it and kind of just waited. No call back, no nothing. I even forgot about the job. And I think one day I was at one of my friend's house and I get this call on my cell phone and the person's like, yeah, this is so-and-so from the CRA. And I'm like, from the CRA. So, you know, <laughs> same thing people think. You get a phone call from the CRA. You're just like, uh. <laughs> he's like, yeah, we'd like to offer you a job opportunity. And I'm like, oh. Wow. And it's like, I, I applied for this job like a year ago. And they're like, yeah, we know sometimes it takes a little long. But if you're still interested, we'd like to offer you this job. And so I took it. And from there going on, I just... Uh, continued working there. I started to love the job. I started to love the place that I was in because um, one thing I really enjoyed about it was there's a lot of 
work like work life balance is what I like to we we call it, and that was something that I really enjoyed because once I started a family, um, it was there was things that you you can do that you can help if you're you know your family's sick or something. Don't have to worry about oh man I can't take this day off and um, it just seemed different from what people would tell me about private sector and private sector people were saying oh it's really cutthroat and it's this and I'd be like well I'm so glad that I have this and I'm able to my son is sick I can run off and leave and go home and take care of him if, if no one else is able to take care of them so those kind of things I guess kind of kept me the work environment kind of kept me and here I am here I am today yeah. I mean 11 years later and I'm still here but I've I've gone through all different aspects of the 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 agency like I've been in different departments and so each department that I've been in has been a new learning experience for me and it's been enjoyable all the way okay, through that's good so then you technically are achieving that initial goal of learning as much as you can in this in this space then Oh, for sure. Um, that's one thing about me is I love to learn. Um, any opportunity I can get to learn, I want to learn. And something about me is that you offer me a position somewhere, I want to be the best I can be at that mm -hmm. position. So I always strive to be the best, not trying to be like, oh, I'm snobby and I want to be the best. No, I just try to learn. Um, I try to be a student of that yeah. position. So, so that I'm always learning and I'm always trying to grow and make myself better. Yeah, yeah that makes a lot of sense. Well, we're glad that you do, you were willing to learn all aspects and facets of CRA because now we get to use your expertise today. So a while ago, we reached out to some of our followers um, on Megs and asked them to submit any questions that they had with respect to taxes, um, for entrepreneurs, for regular everyday people, for students. And so they submitted quite a few questions and we're just going to get into some of those right now. Okay. So Randy, what are a few potential things that entrepreneurs must consider from a tax perspective before starting their businesses? Uh, well, there's different things. Um, one main thing is what type of business do you want to start? Um, I don't mean like in what area, I just mean are you looking to be an entrepreneur where you're going to run a self-employed business or if you're going to run or, or if you decided, Hey, you know what? I think I just want to open a business entity and I'm going to start a corporation right mm -hmm. away. Um, the, the difference between the two is for tax purposes. If you're deciding to run a corporation, um, then you become the director of the corporation. The corporations just, um, file separate tax returns from the individual. Uh, so because it's a separate entity uh, so there's the benefit of that like the income that the business makes doesn't impact your own income and you as you as the the director or you as the person who runs the uh, business can become an employee of that business so you can pay yourself a salary the same as um, if you were working a job and they were paying you a salary where they take off your cppei and income tax mm -hmm. um, if you're a self-employed self -employed individual or entrepreneur like yourself i would say then you basically are doing the business as you are the business mm -hmm. so if you are the business then all the taxes that you uh do everything it goes on to your own personal income tax so any income you make any um taxes you're going to owe is on your personal income tax right. um, that that being said what it does is 
you still pay into CPP, you'll still pay federal income tax, but that's going to be based off the total income that you make in this self, um, as a self-employed individual. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. And so you did kind of talk about, um, people that are, I would say sole proprietors and a lot of, we have a lot of those, um, types of, uh, business owners who are actually our listeners. Um, but I know that there are a lot of them who also work nine to five jobs. So how does kind of having your hand in both pots affect you come tax time, being a business owner and then being an employee as well. So making income in both of those spaces. Um, so there's a plus and a minus to that, right? So let's say you're starting off your business, you're employed somewhere else. So they're, you know, the job that you work at, they're taking off income tax, they're doing CPP, they're taking off your EI for you. Um, you've started your business and, you know, most businesses when you start, uh, they don't make a profit in the first mm-hmm. year unless you found something that's really like, yes, this is the, this is the thing and I'm going to ex- explode from the first year. That doesn't usually always happen. It usually takes about five years for small businesses to even get um, into a profit situation. Um, so that being said, when you file your business income, let's say, for instance, I'm just going to use these numbers as an example. At your job, you make 60000 um, for the year. And so your job has taken off taxes for $60,000. So a certain amount of taxes that they take off is based on the income that you make. Um, that being said, your business loses um, in the first year because you've had to buy all this new stuff and you had to do all this and that. Your business, let's say, has a loss of 10000 So now your total income is 50000 because you've had a 60000 thing minus 10000 that you've lost in your mm-hmm. business. And so your total income is looked at as 50,000. So filing your taxes, you've paid taxes on $60,000 worth of income, but you've only actually made 50,000. So that's where the government will say, okay, well, we've taken off too much taxes Mm -hmm. from you. Here is a refund that we give back to you. Um, But the opposite could also happen. Now your business is growing. You're at that five year or even in two years, let's say, and you've now earned 50,000 in income plus the 60,000 of your job. Now you have 70,000 worth of income and you have to, you've only paid taxes on 60. You may have to pay extra taxes back on that extra 10,000. That being said, also most sole proprietors or self-employed individuals, they will pay into their own CPP because there's no one like in a business where they're taking off your own CPP or EI. You pay your own CPP, your own EI and your your federal income tax. So that's based on the taxes that you Mm -hmm. make. So, I mean, it does have its advantages. It does have its disadvantages. I know some people will say, well, why would I want to earn money in my business um, without it? Well, there was one guy that I actually talked to one time and I had to, I thought I was letting him know bad news. I was saying, you know, because of this situation, you have to pay this much in taxes. Mm-hmm. And the guys, the guy said, turned around and said to me, and he said, um, well, if I'm not paying you guys, then I'm not making any money. So to me, to him, to him paying taxes and paying the government taxes meant that his business right, is growing. proof of, of that little bit of success, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. And so because he was saying, hey, if I have to pay you guys, then I'm being successful. If I'm getting money back from you guys, then I'm not doing what I'm supposed mm-hmm. to be doing. So, I mean, it just depends on how you look at it. Plus, most people, self-employed individuals are 
growing a business so that they don't have to be working right. anymore. Most people are, I'm not going to say everybody, but most people are looking mm -hmm. that way. So, I mean, if you're not looking to grow your business, then why are you in the business in the first yeah, place? That's a fair point. That's a really good point. And so even talking about, um, entrepreneurs, it kind of makes me think of another classification, I guess, of worker, the freelancer. Um, a lot of people that I work with are often graphic designers, writers, um, and so they have classified themselves as freelancers. So they pick up jo odd jobs here and there, and that's essentially how they make their income. Um, and we actually had a freelancer write in and ask if they are required to file their income taxes. And if so, do you have any tips on how to avoid a large bill at the come tax time. Well, that being said, uh, everyone should be filing an income tax. Um, if you're of age and you should be filing income tax, uh, whether you make any money or whether you do any, no money because the government does have credits that they offer. Like for instance, uh, the GST, HST credit that they give every quarter or the in Ontario, we have the Ontario Trillium benefit, which they give out every month. And those are based off you filing your income tax. So that being said, yes, they should file their income tax. Um, how to avoid a huge bill at the end of the year? That's kind of hard to say. I mean, it because everything is dependent on your income. Right. Uh, so taxes, everything that you pay is dependent on your income. A uh, couple of ways that freelancers or self-employed self individuals can lower that is through because you're self-employed, because freelancers also consider a self-employed individual, they can, there's also expenses that they can, they can um, use to reduce the amount of tax that they're mm -hmm. paying. Because what we're looking at is what the net, net of your business activity is. So if you made so-and-so sales, but you have so-and-so expenses, that could lower the amount that you're going to pay. Um, that being said, Sadly to say, or happily to say, and the other guy's point is that if you make a profit, we're going to base the um, the taxes that you owe based off that income that you make. So, like I was saying, that that being said, we're going to make the what you're paying is going to be based off your income that you've made. Um, so the expenses that you can claim, there's different expenses. For instance, let's say you have to drive your car from here and there to go um, meet clients and anything that has to do basically with business income is something that you can write off as a business expense. Right. So you do have options then. There, there are ways to kind of bring things down in terms of looking into expenses. And I'm glad that you brought that up because we actually had a question about um, utilizing a home office. So one of our, our followers actually said, if they are an entrepreneur who works from home, but they are currently renting the home they live in, can they still claim that under a home office? Um, so yes, they can. So, I mean, if they have an area that's designated as their home office, I mean, like even if they have in a portion of their, um, well, I won't say bedroom because it should not really be in your bedroom, but if they have a portion of their home that they use as an office where they're seeing clients or they're doing their work, uh, they should, they can claim that amount off their rent. So basically what it is, is they'll take the square footage of the area that they, they live and they'll take the square footage of the area that they've designated as their office. Now let's make sure you're not saying, Hey, 50% of my house is my office because, but you don't use 50% of it as right. an office. Right. So let's, let's be 
try and be honest with what you do is the best thing is to be honest. Um, so you designate that area. So let's say the whole area is a thousand square feet, a hundred square feet is your office space. Mm -hmm. So basically that 100 over a thousand is basically the amount that you can claim off any of your home expenses that could be, well, not any, but your home expense. So for instance, your rent, if you pay for hydro, if you pay for heat, um, things like that that you'll be able to claim back as business expenses because that portion of that area is used for business purposes so that portion of your rent that portion of everything is considered business expense right. um but that being said you also have to look at reasonability you're not going to go claim that percentage for your groceries that you bought for your lunch that's fair so you again like you said you need to be reasonable and considerate about what it is you're writing off, but I think that is very reassuring for a lot of entrepreneurs who don't necessarily have uh, an office space outside of their homes, that there are things, like they have options that they can claim in terms of uh, some of their, their expenses. Awesome, so another question that we had was about OSAP. So uh, I guess just a little clarity, if you live in Ontario, OSAP is basically the government um, funding you can receive for loans. So yes, you will have to pay it back, um, depending on where you live. Um, right. yeah, OSAP is just the provincial equivalent of a student loan from the government. So people, so a question that we had was, I heard you can claim your OSAP payments back and get it all. Is that true? I mean, that sounds nice. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> that's, that's, that's a, that's a great question. I wish we could all get it back, but let's, let's look at it this way. Does it make sense that the government has given you money for you to go to school? that you didn't earn and they're going to allow you also to get it all back when you pay it back. That just means that they gave you free money. Uh, that being said, there's a couple of things. So when you go to school, you are allowed to claim your tuition um, and it's called a tuition credit, which is non-refundable, but it helps reduce your taxes to an amount of zero. And that carries forward for the rest mm -hmm. of your life life until it's all used up. So every year in school, you're collecting a certain amount of um, credits for that, and that helps to reduce your income. So in one way, it does give you a benefit for going to school. Uh, the other way is when you are paying back your OSEP, the amount that you pay in interest is what you can claim back on your taxes. So that being said, um, they're giving you back a portion of that for um, the interest that you're paying on this OSAP that you're paying back. So there is some that you get back, but it's not all your OSAP payments that you get back. It's just the amount that you're paying back for interest. Mm -hmm. And they normally send you like a little, I guess it's not technically a T4 slip. I don't know if it's like a T2 or what, but you normally get a slip um, for the interest paid for you to apply to your tax. Yeah, most times it's just a slip that just says, here's the interest that you paid for the year. Mm -hmm. And then you just put that amount in and that's what you're claiming back on your tuition amount. But like I said, you do have those tuition credits that you carry forward that also help reduce uh, your taxes that you pay down to zero. So that being said, over the years, while you're working, you could be, as it's paying it down, like your tax that you owe down to zero, it means any tax that you paid on your T4 could be coming back to you or any right. tax that you're supposed to pay could be coming back to you. Yeah. And so um, I think we've had a conversation about this before, but does the government determine how much of your tax credits they're applying to, um, I guess, your income tax or like your your 
your claim that year or how does it work? I've always wondered because there have been years where I've gotten like a really nice return based on those tax credits or I've gotten like nothing. But that also depended on, I guess, the income that I made that year. So I'm, I was never really sure. So that all depends on the tax credit. If we're talking about the tuition tax credits now, be, because that carries forward for the rest of your life until it's used up, um, it has a point that it tries to use as much as it, it can as soon as possible because it wants to get rid of it as soon as possible. Um, but if you're not making a lot of income or if you don't need it because you have other tax credits, then yeah, it's going to keep carrying forward. You're just going to only be using a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. Um, what usually happens is as soon as people come out of school, the first year that they start working is when most of their, that tax credit gets used because now there's no school to say, Hey, we're going to keep carrying forward more tax credits. And they've, they've made income that they never made before. Maybe because maybe while they're in school, they weren't making any income. Now they've made a whole bunch of income. So that credit may be used up in the first year and they may get a huge refund the first year. And then going forward after that, they may not get such a big refund or may have to owe back tax depending on what they're doing and where they're working. And you did mention um, tax credits. I know there's different types. Obviously we just talked about the tuition credits, but what are some other uh, tax credits to consider? Uh, so there's different things. Um, there's two types of credits though. There's non-refundable tax credits and there's refundable tax credits. Uh, so the non-refundable ones, what they do is they just help to reduce your income well, not your income, sorry. They help to reduce the taxes that you'd have to pay down to zero. So it doesn't make anything negative where it would give you a refund back um, or anything like that. And those things are certain things like medical expenses, um, donations and receipts, even tithes, because tithes is part of, so those of you who go to church and they pay their tithes and they say, hey, I don't want to get a, a receipt. That's fine. That's, I mean, that's up to you. You don't have to, but just know that that tithe receipt, because you're paying to your church, which is a charitable organization, you do get a donation receipt back for that. Um, other things that are non-refundable tax credits is there's different things. You would have to look at your actual tax form. There's a form called the Schedule One that's on the tax form, and all those things in line, those line 300s, or now it's 300,000, 30,000, 30,000. All those lines in there because they changed the line number, so all those ones in there now. Are those are the non-refundable ones. So what they do is they look at how much your tax you're supposed to pay and they try and reduce it down to zero. So different things happen. For instance, if you have a spouse, you might get an amount for your spouse. For children, you might get an amount for children. Just for working, you get an amount for working. Uh, for paying into CPP and EI, you get an amount reduced for that as well. So those are what we call non-refundable tax credits. Donations are good ones. Again, medical expenses are good ones as well. Um, and then the tuition credits as well is what helps. Um, the other ones are refundable tax credits. Now, refundable tax credits are, as they say, they're refundable tax credits. So, for instance, we have now that climate action um, credit. Mm -hmm. And that credit is a refundable tax credit. So you get a certain amount and it actually will add into your refund. Or if you have taxes owing, will help to lower the amount of tax that you're going to owe back. Um, because it's a credit that's added to your refund that allows you to get money back. Also, if you have a certain income and let's say your workplace where you work, they took off too much CPP, you might get a refund for an overpayment of CPP. Mm -hmm. And so you get money back in that way as well. So all those go added into your credits that will say, hey, you've paid this much um, 
taxes on your tuition, you have these extra credits, you were supposed to pay this amount. Um, the difference between the two is what we're either going to give you a less uh, refund or you're going to owe less taxes because of these credits. Mm -hmm. Right. So there are there are those different options. Well, thank you for clarifying that, because I think oftentimes people have no idea what really goes into it, how they're receiving money back. They just kind of are like, I paid my taxes. I submitted this thing. Hopefully I get a check. So it's really good just to be able to clarify those. Things. Yeah, and another thing I was going to add to that is um, there are other deductions that you can get. Um, for instance, paying into an RSP. So if you're paying into RSP, yes, um, you're putting money into it, saving it for later on when you retire. But at the same time, because you're paying into it, you get a deduction on your tax, your income because of it. So um, for those of you who even know a little bit of business, uh, taxes are similar to an income statement. So for instance, it labels out, okay, this is all the income you've made. Here are some of the deductions to your income. So some of the expense that you have, and then here are some other credits that we can give you. And this is in the end, your net income or your net uh, refund, let's say. So for those of you who have had basic knowledge of especially self-employed self entrepreneurs. Those of you who are doing your own um, balance sheets and your income statements like that, look at taxes in a similar way. It's similar to an income statement where it depicts all your income minus all your expenses and the difference will give you money owing or a refund. Although people look at the money owing part as <laughs> not the same as if it was in their business. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. So another question that we had, which is quite broad, um, but I think is really relevant right now is how do you file your taxes um and before we before we even get to that randy can you tell us when the tax deadline is for this year oh so for just for this year itself because of all the stuff that's happening with covid19 um they've actually moved the tax deadline for personal income taxes to june 1st um, for self-employed individuals, it's still June 15th because they're hoping that I guess everything will be done by the end of June or by the end of May or by the end of April. They're hoping that everything will get back to normal. But so far, it's been extended to for personal taxes to June 1st. But if you're self-employed self -employed individual, it still stays the same as June 15th. That being said, if you are a self-employed individual and let's say you have a spouse, everybody in that household has until June. Well, everyone that you file your taxes with. So for instance, let's say myself, I'm a self-employed individual, but my wife works um, a job somewhere else. Because I have that self-employed income, I have until June 15th to file my taxes. She also has until June 15th to file her taxes because it works as the family has that time to file. So they give you a little bit more time. Uh, my assumption is because to get receipts and get everything ready, it could take a little bit longer to file business. And I've, I've filed business taxes, so I, I know. So it takes a little bit longer to get that all together to file everything the same. It's not the same as, hey, your, your employee gives you a T4 and here you go, you run with right. it, you file your taxes, you go. Um, so yes, yeah, so this year, just being said, they've extended it from April 30th to June 1st. Um, what they've also done is if you owe tax this year, usually if you owe tax, even if you're a self-employed individual, uh, you would have to pay your taxes by April 30th. And I know a lot of questions come. Why do I get to file by June 15th, but I still have to pay it by mm -hmm. April 30th? 
Uh, the reason is by that time, you kind of know how much you may be owing. And so you could pay something. It's just you have time to file the actual paperwork before you actually um, do it. Most people anyways, they'll file their taxes on time by April 30th. Um, it just means that you have a little bit of more time as a self-employed person to get the paperwork done. Right. But usually they have everything together and they know, okay, this is how much I, I owe. But hey, if I got to send all my receipts in and things, I want to make sure everything is in a nice order. So when I send it. Um, this year, they've moved it to September 30th. So if you file your taxes and you find out this year that you do owe money, uh, you're okay. You have until September 30th to actually pay it off. Uh, the good thing I see about that is you can pay small increments over time up to September 30th to pay it off before the time. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to, you don't have to sit back and wait. Oh yeah. I have till September 30th. I'll pay that $5,000 on September 30th. No. no. Uh, the, the, the thing about that is with Canada revenue agency, uh, the day after the day it's due is when interest starts to ch be charged. Oh wow. So you want to get those payments in on time. So because of everything that's going on, they're giving, we're, we're giving extra time for you to file and to pay your, your taxes. Yeah. And so now, obviously, because of the current pandemic, I think the way in which people uh, generally file their taxes might have changed a little bit. So um, do you have any suggestions in terms of how people can go about filing their taxes? Maybe it's their first time. Maybe they're having to change their method. What are their options? Well, I mean... The options really haven't changed over the year. What most places anything is going to is more doing online um, filing. So electronic filing has become actually a really big thing for income tax. So a lot of people file their income tax online um, using tax software or even going to um, tax places where they file it for you and they'll file it for you electronically as well. Um, that being said, you can still file paper income taxes. I know people that actually still fill out their, their income taxes by hand and wow. send it in um, by hand because they, part of them is they, they say they don't trust. Um, some of them say they don't trust like the software. Mm -hmm. The software can make a mistake, but at least if they know if they did it by hand, they know that they made the mistake, mistake. Right. So, yeah. and some people just get the pleasure out of doing the taxes by hand. I know one, one lady that was, she just likes to, do it by hand. That's what she does in her spare time while she's wow. at work. She'll just say, hey, look, I've done my taxes. She's done it and she just drops it off in the mail slot and it gets filed that way. Wow. Um, but the biggest thing right now is doing it electronically uh, because you can't really, I won't say you can't. There's still most places now, You people used to get their, their tax paperwork from um, like the post office, they'll go to post office around tax time, they'll get that tax package and they'll walk home and they'll, they'll fill it out. Mm -hmm. uh, nowadays, even a lot of things in the government is going to be, is more electronic. So for you to get those tax forms, you would have to go onto our website, canada.ca and print those forms off for yourself. Yeah. Um, that being said, if you're going to go through all that printing them off, you might as well just file your taxes electronically. Mm-hmm. And by so, that, you mean like do it yourself kind of thing? Well, you can do it yourself. There are people that can still do it for you. Like I was saying, there are tax uh, places where they can do it um, 
Liberty Tax, H&R Block, just to say a few, um, you can go to those places and they can still file your taxes for you electronically. So they just take all your information, they pop it into the system, they do it. But you can actually file your taxes yourself. Um, and with our society, the way our taxes are, it's actually a self, um, you're supposed to do it yourself. So everything you say that you do is yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a self-assessing self -assessing system. That was the right. word I was looking for. So Canada is a self-assessing system, which means you assess yourself, you file your taxes yourself. For if if H&R Block or Liberty Tax files your taxes for you and they do something wrong, uh, Canada Revenue Agency is not going to go after that and they're going to come for you because mm -hmm. it's a self-assessing system. It's just you decided to take it to them. Um, that being said, there are tax softwares on our website, uh, Canada.ca. Again, I, I'm going to keep promoting the website. Canada.ca, um, if you go under taxes and you look up tax software, there is different software that they show on there. Now, they don't promote to say, oh, this one's better than this, or these are all the good ones. What they show, what they put on there is software that is compatible with our system to file your taxes electronically. Right. Um, so they'll they'll show you different ones. There's uh, U-File. There's Simply Tax. There's TurboTax. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different ones that that can be used, and some of them are free. Some of them you may have to buy the software, but it tells you that too. Like they'll take take click on this one, you takes you to their website, shows that this is it. This is how much you might have to pay. This is how much you might have to do. But what they're promoting on there is not the software, just that they are compatible with. CRA system. Mm -hmm. So these are ones that you can use to file your taxes. And a lot of them can be simple because it's just a matter of popping the numbers and it will generate all the information for you. Yeah. And once it generates the information, you'll know exactly what you're owing and what you're paying back. And you can also submit it to CRA electronically and usually when you submit something electronically it gets them right away um, and usually what taxes take is about four to six weeks to process so it does take four to six weeks to process but filing electronically can get you a refund in eight to ten days eight to ten business days so four to six weeks for it to process it could take up that even when you file it electronically it still could take up to that four to six weeks um, but usually, um, because you're filing electronically, you'll get everything back within eight to 10 business days, which is two weeks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I th and it's just the easiest way to go, honestly, yeah. in my yeah. opinion, at least I normally just file my taxes by myself. I feel like such an adult. <laughs> um, well, that's a good thing. I mean, people should file their taxes themselves, um, I mean, a lot of people do go to some of these accountants and tax places because a lot of them do give you back your refund instantly, right? Right. So, I mean, they'll do it because they want to get their refund instantly. But if you're not really in a rush to get that refund, then, I mean, file it yourself and you can wait eight to 10 days. They deposit right into your account and you won't have to pay that extra fee to go to that place to get it filed. This is true. I think, I also think filing your taxes either on your own or using like a third party will depend on how complicated your tax situation is. So for me, I'm a single adult. I have two streams of income. I know how simple it is to enter those things when I use like one of these online software systems. 
but I'm sure it gets a little bit more complicated if maybe you now have a rental property or you've got kids or you've got other components. So I do understand why people um, may be interested in using um, another party to kind of help them figure out their tax situation. And I agree because I mean, it can get sometimes like you're saying, if the situation seems more complicated, it can get overwhelming to the person. Like, what can I claim? What can I not claim? I mean, you'll go to these, some of these places because they may know everything that you can claim. And mm -hmm. so they can say, Oh, did you claim this? Did you claim this? Did you claim this? Oh, well, do you have receipts for all those? So bring them in and we can claim that for you. So, exactly. um, it does make sense because you doing it yourself, you may not know everything that you're allowed to claim, or you may forget to input some stuff. So that being said, I do agree with that as well. Like it depends on how complicated the system or how comfortable you feel filing. But that being said, you won't know how comfortable you feel about filing it until you actually file it yourself. Now, one thing I will say is um, this is not necessarily for self-employed individuals, um, but I know you probably have some listeners who are also employed. Mm -hmm. uh, the Canada Revenue Agency also has um, a program called the Community Volunteer Income Tax Program. And what that is, is if, you re or if you're in a certain criteria, like you're a student, uh, you're in low income, senior, newcomer, um, there's organizations that will be able to file your taxes for you for free because um, these are volunteers that are filing the taxes and they know that those people in those certain criteria, certain income, um, seniors, maybe newcomers, uh, students, they may not have income to actually pay to get their taxes done or may not feel comfortable doing their taxes themselves. So at least they have these communities, I mean, these organizations, which are usually not-for-profit organizations in different areas that will actually have a clinic at their place that you can follow your taxes there with them. Yeah, so there there are lots of good options for everyone. Yeah, we did discuss that we are currently living through some crazy times. We've got the COVID-19 pandemic happening. People are unfortunately losing their jobs. Um, economically, things are, are getting a little stressful. And I've also noticed that a lot of entrepreneurs are having to close up shop um, to the point that some of them are having to shut down entirely. Um, and if you live in Canada, the government has actually released a, I would say a relief program. I guess that's part yes. of the title actually, <laughs> um, a relief program to help Canadians, um, kind of supplement their income during these hard times. And I think one of the misconceptions or one of the worries for people who are self-employed is that they are not a part of this option. Is that true or is that uh, false? I will say that that is false. Uh, I hope I get the, the prize for that. It's false? <laughs> yes, yes. <no>. Um, <laughs> the reason why I say that, so the government has implemented what's called the CERB, which is a relief benefit um, for those who were employed and may have lost their jobs, been laid off because of COVID-19, but it also includes self-employed individuals who like you said, had to close up shop and they may not be able to run their business because now they had to close up their business. Uh, the reason why it also includes them is because they are not necessarily, uh, they don't necessarily qualify for EI. Now, if you know like a person, like you said yourself, you have a job plus you also have your, your, your business. So the place where you work, they take off CPP, they take off income tax, they take off EI. Uh, for self-employed individuals, the only thing that's 
that it's mandatory that they pay into is CPP. Uh, many self-employed individuals don't know that they can actually pay into EI, but they have to actually call Service Canada, say, I'm a self-employed individual and I want to register to have EI deducted from me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that being said, let's get back to the CERB. Uh, the CERB was made for self-employed individuals as well because they're not, they do not qualify for EI. So because they don't qualify for EI and now they don't have any income, we, the government won't be like, okay, well, forget you guys, you decided to run your own business. No, they're also offering this benefit to them as well, um, just for that purpose, because they they knew that there would be people that are self-employed that don't qualify for EI, so can't be like, oh, I can go on EI now, I'm okay, until my job picks up. No, you are the job, so if you have to close up your shop, you are left without no stream of income, and thus the CERB does help benefit those people as well okay okay that's good to know so that's a a little bit of a sense of relief for a lot of people because again i have noticed that a lot of people are having to close down their shops and the businesses and services they provide don't are not necessarily able to go online i think that's what a lot of people have created as alternatives for themselves and so they're kind of in a situation where maybe they haven't been able to save as much for uh, a, a long duration of time like this and they're a little worried so it's good to know that they definitely do have that option tough times but hopefully things are working out for everyone so brandy we have actually reached the end of today's episode wow unfortunately have, i know have we talked that long There's, yeah you must you must have had more questions it's been a minute let me tell you but it feels like time flew today it did it did it, it did. did but before we do go i do have a question for you if people okay. obviously you are an expert um you've got a lot to share and um yeah, if people are actually interested in contacting you to help them file their taxes um, or if they have any tax related questions, how can they get in contact with you or what resources do you have to share with them that you would like to redirect them to? Um, so the first thing I'll redirect them to before you decide to contact me, uh, the best thing is to check our the website canada.ca. I mean, mo- everything that's put in there is written in terms where people it's easily understandable that being said you still may not understand it sometimes i go on there and i'm like mm, i don't know if people understand <laughs> it but but it is it is written in a way that um the general population should be able to understand mm-hmm. um what they can do and what they need to do um things like that that being said, if you're still having a problem, you can contact me. Um, the best way probably would be by email. Um, the email address that you can send it to would be uh, copstax at gmail.com. So that's C-O-P-S-T-A-X, all one word, at gmail.com. Well, there you go, people. You've got options. Either hit up the CRA links directly or contact Randy. Um, yeah, he's, this is, has been amazing. You've answered so many questions that again, I think people go a long time in life wondering, um, and they never have answers for either because they're not willing to look for it, or maybe there have, they, it has not been explained to them well enough. So I really do appreciate you joining us today, sharing all of this awesome information, helping a lot of us. Um, I'm sure there's some people that probably didn't even know the tax deadline was June 1st. So now you guys know, get on, get on it, apply or sorry, submit your taxes. 
Um, and again, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Really, really, really did enjoy this conversation. Oh, you're welcome. Do you mind if I just say one more of thing? Of course. Just for all your listeners out there. Um, I know sometimes it's dreadful when you get that letter in the mail, that brown envelope that says Canada Revenue Agency, you don't want to open it. Um, the first thing I would say to you to do is open it and read it. Before you go and run off and find out what's going on, read it. Because sometimes when you read it in the letter, it should tell you exactly what we need. Um, it could be just a pre-assessment review where they're saying, okay, well, you know, last year you claimed this, this year you claimed this can you send us the receipts to that and we can finalize everything um ignoring it won't let right. it go away so it's better to read it work with it even if it's a, a it's a letter that says hey you owe us money um contact this person contact them because they are willing to work with you to get that amount paid so they're not going to be on your throat to say don't pay it, everything right away they're going to try and work with you to get it paid off as well don't, don't be afraid mm -hmm. and and you have and, and something you mentioned in one of the conversations we had, um, like obviously off air, was that uh, CRA is not like the IRS per se, like the, the Canadian Revenue Agency is always looking to help Canadians to, you know, it, in a, to a certain extent, they want to work with you. They, if you do owe the money, they want to help you help yourself essentially. Um, so there shouldn't really be that fear component, I guess. Right. Um, we, different than the IRS is, from from what I've heard from actually people who uh, file taxes in the U.S., they used to contact that, that you know, may file taxes in both places have contacted me and they said, but even I've spoken to businesses too. So businesses that work, run out of the U.S., but they've done business in Canada, they'll always contact us and say, oh, you guys are not like the IRS. The IRS tries to scare us to do our taxes. They try to intimidate us where you guys seem like you're actually trying to help us. So as much as it may seem like it's not, not happening, the Canada Revenue Agency is out there to help those who need the help. Awesome. Well, that's, again, a good sense of relief. I think you've come on here, you've debunked a whole lot of misconceptions about the CRA, about accounting, about taxes. So I feel a lot better. I hope everybody out there as well feels a lot better. Um, and again, thank you so much for joining us on Meg's Moments today. Really appreciate it. Really enjoyed the conversation. I mean, this is this is my pleasure. I mean, uh, the moment you asked me if I could do this, I actually felt honored. Um, <laughs> I'm, I may be inflating your head right now, but I, I did. I felt honored that, oh, you actually said, hey, would you like to come on my show and do this? And so I was like, hey, why not? I mean, it's good to inform people. It's good to keep people educated. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, it's good to help people. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Randy. All right. Uh, we'll I thank up. you. We won't take up any more of your time. Uh, have a great day. Stay safe. Thank and you. yeah, until next time.